ESG has exploded into compliance and business consciousness. Join Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, on the ESG Report and learn about sustainability risks, opportunities, and issues that business leaders and compliance professionals need to know about regarding ESG. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode. And today, I'm thrilled to have with me Sean Kreloff. Sean has been in this space for many years. I'm always intrigued by the business people in this space. I come from more of a regulatory background, so a fair amount of discussion about those topics on this podcast. But I love it when people either look at the same thing I do and see something completely different, i.e. a business opportunity, or just say there's a market need and I'm going to fill it. So you seem to be in one or both of those camps. So with that incredibly long-winded introduction, first of all, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to visit with me today, Sean. Thanks for having me, Tom. Really appreciate it. Sean, could you tell us your professional background? Yeah, a long time ago, I started off as a computer network engineer out of college, but I quickly became an entrepreneur in the mid-90s with a consulting business and did a lot of work in the software business, especially around network security. But I came across anaerobic digestion when I was working for Bertelsmann, big German media company in Germany. That's where this technology really got started. And uh, became fascinated with anaerobic digestion just because of its, the way it helps the environment and, and also the economic drivers of it. And really someday decided I was going to build an anaerobic digester here in the United States because it makes way too much sense. So that's how, how I got here, Tom. Let's just hop right into what is an anaerobic digester? Essentially, it's a cow's stomach on a very large scale that we built. Okay. So the same microbes that are in a cow's stomach that the cow uses to break down organic material, we use... And anaerobic means without oxygen. So this is, a, again, a completely natural process. And the microbes that do this work have been on this planet for billions of years, literally before there was oxygen in the atmosphere. And they're still around. Now they have to hide, okay, basically in places like cow's stomachs and in the bottom of swamps. But they still do a very important work of breaking down organic material. Literally, it's nature's way of recycling organic material. But we happen to capture it. And, and harness that power inside of an anaerobic digester. So what led you to found Bioenergy Devco? So what led me to find it is, like I said, when I came across the technology, I just was like completely fascinated, okay, with how it broke down this organic material and made literally it into biogas, which is essentially methane, which is natural gas. That's what we use as natural gas in homes and businesses. So what we drill now underground in frack is organic material that's literally been captured for millions of years. That's why they call it fossil fuel, okay? Because it's literally it's as old as fossils. And, but instead of waiting for, it to, for, for, for us to drill it out of the ground for millions of years, we're making it in real time. And we can actually do it at scale. That really totally fascinated me. And the fact that we could make renewable energy and recycle organic material, which is a big problem. Organic material is a big problem because if you don't recycle the organic material, the methane ends up in the atmosphere. That's why we have all these greenhouse gases associated with climate change. The fact that you could capture this methane gas and then make 
literally fertilizer or soil amendment product with it. So you're returning nutrients to the soil on top of it all. Instead of throwing this stuff away in a landfill or an incinerator, totally just made way too much sense to me. And when we modeled the economics out, it really worked. So that's how, that's why I'm here, Tom. Were you able to get a license or other, some sort of agreement that you could utilize this technology going forward? So instead of getting a license for the technology, we bought the company. Okay. That's what we did. So the company that had been in business for 25 years, this, again, this technology comes out of Europe. Instead of buying a company in Germany, we bought one in Northern Italy. They, again, 25 years in the business, they built over now 250 plants in seven countries. We operate 140 plants, but that's a company we bought in 2016 with the thesis that we were going to take this technology and bring it to the United States. But also, instead of building these for other people, we were going to build them for ourselves. So we were, we're going to build, own, and operate instead of being like a contractor and operator for other people. So that really was the whole thesis of the business stuff. So I saw on your website that you had three customer groups, municipalities, companies, and utilities. Could you explain your work with each of those groups? Sure. So with municipalities, a lot of municipalities are responsible for the waste in their area. It could be a city, it could be a county, and or, or, or even a state. Okay. But so many of these municipalities now have organics waste diversion laws, basically saying that if you make so much organic waste, you have to recycle it. And so we work with these municipalities. State of Maryland, by the way, has one of those, okay? Also has a waste diversion law. New Jersey has one, for example. Connecticut has one. California has one. Massachusetts has one. So we work with the counties who are essentially taking a lot of this organic waste to their landfill or their incinerator and then help them repurpose it and recycle it using our technology. That's one way we work with municipalities. Now with big businesses, I could say one of our, for example, one of our really big customers is Purdue. You probably heard of the poultry processing company. Purdue processes lots of chickens out on the Delmarva Peninsula. And we're taking a lot of that material that normally would have been either land applied, end up in an incinerator or landfill. And now we're recycling it with Purdue. So we do that with large businesses. So we can take commercial waste okay, from large businesses. And so generally, those are the two groups we really work with, all right? And who actually is the purchaser of the converted waste, which you're able to convert into some type of energy? Or I think you also said fertilizer. That's right. If you think about the big fertilizer companies, we sell our waste to those big fertilizer companies, okay? Scott's, for example. And when it comes to the natural gas, I'll give you an example. Our plant in Maryland, which is in the Maryland Food Center, we have an interconnection agreement with Baltimore Gas and Electric. So our gas goes directly into the pipeline, Baltimore Gas and Electric's pipeline. It's ultimately bought by another company, okay? But it basically, get the interconnection agreement is with a utility like Baltimore Gas and Electric. This... I can't tell you how fascinating all this is. I come out of the energy petrochemical energy industry on the Texas Gulf Coast. This all of this really fascinates me. But let me maybe turn to the equally interesting part of this discussion, which is the role of your company in climate remediation. Tell us about that. 
Yeah, methane is one of the worst greenhouse gases that there is when it's allowed to escape into the atmosphere. As you probably know, it's responsible for most of the atmospheric warming we have. And that methane is generally released by organic material that's being broken down naturally in the environment by the same microbes that we're talking about. However, when it's released into the atmosphere, it can do bad things. When you capture methane, you can do lots of things with it. You're keeping that greenhouse gas out of the atmosphere, which is a big deal. I think the numbers we have, and people can go look at our website, and we have a lot of comparisons there, but it's the equivalent of 81 central parks or 80,000 acres of trees okay, being planted. That's the equivalent of what we're keeping out of the atmosphere here. So that said, the methane part of it is probably the biggest part. And then returning nutrients to the soil, we can help enable sustainable farming. Most of the fertilizer we use right now is chemical-based. Chemical fertilizers really are not great for the soil in in large quantities because they can kill the microbes in the soil. And the microbes in the soil are really important. They fix the nutrients to the roots of the plants. So enabling microbes, healthy soils really, and enabling microbes to grow in the soil is really what we're about. Returning this material that we've digested back to the soil helps it become healthier because it allows microbes to grow. And the more microbes you have in the soil and the healthier the soil, the less fertilizer you really have to use. So we actually can keep the amount of fertilizer down, which as you probably know, nutrient management when it comes to water quality is very important. If we use too much fertilizer, it can, as soon as it rains, it can end up in the watershed. When there's too much fertilizer in the watershed, it causes algae blooms. Algae blooms basically cause oxygen deprivation, which is really bad for fresh water. So this technology has air quality, soil quality, okay, and and water quality benefits all at the same time. Is this technology still being used actively in Europe? And are you still, does the Italian company still operate in Italy? Absolutely. So to give you an example, in Germany, there's almost 10,000 anaerobic digesters in the country okay, doing this work. Here in the United States, we have about 200 doing the same amount of work, okay? So it gives you an idea of why, of the opportunity here and what we could do really to improve the way we recycle organic material. But yes, it's all over Europe. We have the number one market share in Italy when it comes to anaerobic digestion and in France, okay? So it's very active there. We're building lots of digesters. In fact, the uh, considering the whole Russian gas situation in Europe, which you probably know about Russia cutting off gas to Europe, the European Union just increased its incentives for our type of gas to be put back into the pipeline, which obviously is better than Russian gas going into the pipeline. So we're doing that also. So it's very active technology and growing, still growing in Europe. Many corporations obviously are focused on ESG and they'll look at various measurements, particularly around the E or the environmental from their own emissions or their own greenhouse gases. They may look at those who they do business with. But the thing that struck me about you guys is you are, they could be a customer of yours and it could be impacting their overall ESG program. I was wondering if you could talk about that a little, because frankly, you're the first company I've come along that is so focused on soil quality, water quality, and air quality. And you are an ongoing 
viable business that these other U.S. corporations are your customers. I hope I didn't butcher that too bad. Anyway, it just struck me is that this is really unique. So could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So a lot of our customers, we provide tracking data for our customers. So the more organic waste they give us, we tell them how much it's improved the air, water, and soil quality. Okay. So we do that a lot, but yeah, there's lots of customers who are out there who are looking to improve their ESG goals or help meet or exceed their ESG goals actually. And we can go a long way to doing, to do that. Okay. Secondly, we can also help them save transportation costs. A lot of this, if you think about a food processor that has leftovers from their food processing that normally would have ended up in a landfill or incinerator, that material needs to be transported somewhere. Okay. Either to a landfill or an incinerator. Usually that's quite far away, but our plants operate on a footprint that's very small, only maybe six to 10 acres. So we can put our plant literally very close to where the sources of the food, the feedstock are or the waste material, which keeps the transportation costs down for our customers too. All right. So we have benefits on that side of the equation from an ESG perspective too. The more trucks that are kept off the road, the more less miles that are done, obviously the better for the environment. So there's many ways that we help our customers meet or exceed their ESG goals. You mentioned the tracking and one of the other conversations around ESG is obviously corporate reporting, reporting your ESG numbers, tracking your internal numbers, tracking your external numbers. Is this the tracking you provide in an auditable format so that a company can accurately report what you are bringing to them? It is Tom. And we provide, like I said, we provide that equipment to our customers sometimes through a third party, but directly we can provide that directly, which says, this is how much methane was avoided. This is how much nutrients were returned to the soil, things like that. So we give those, we can give those equivalents back to our customers. So they can actually track it uh, and report on it, themselves, audit, you know, auditable results, which they can report on themselves. So I live in the great state of Texas and I was somewhat chagrined or I'm somewhat chagrined to mention that in doing some research for this podcast, I wasn't aware of your business model and your services. How can we get the word out or who are the people that you are talking to facilitate the construction of these facilities? And I'm just going to pick the South and some a Southerner. I hear you. So we actually have a lot going on in, in the South and Southeast. Okay. In states like Georgia in particular, I would say for us, but Texas, Austin has a organics waste diversion law. Okay. So that's obviously an interesting, an interesting market for us that we've been exploring. So there are other areas in the South clearly that would benefit from this technology and we're looking around. And like I said, those two states in particular are good. Arkansas is another good one. If you think about the poultry processing industry in Arkansas, quite large. Tennessee, we also have some pretty, we're pretty active in Tennessee and Kentucky, which I think you'd still call the South, Tom, right? <laughs> Not really. <laughs> they were North of the Mason-Dixon line, no. In another life, I represented multiple Buffalo wing stores and had to purchase wings. And that sent me through a journey through the South uh, to going to processing plants. In many rural counties, you named Georgia, and Georgia is certainly one of them, a poultry processing plant may be the largest employer, but it also individual farmers are growing chickens to supply to the poultry processing plant. So the 
economic ecosystem is huge within the county. And it seems to me to make perfect sense to locate one of your facilities in one of those rural counties, because number one, you're bringing jobs. Number two, you're bringing effective climate change. And the businesses are certainly going to enjoy the benefits of your services and products. You know what, Tom, you figured out part of our business model. How's that? (laughs) So that, yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. Those, the protein processing industry and poultry in particular operates in clusters, like you said, where the growers are near the processors. Okay. And also you want to keep the farm, the farms are there too, which provide the feed. Okay. On top of it. So you have a cluster there of growers, uh, farmers, and then operate, and then processors. So those are great places for us to locate a plant. You're exactly right. And uh, all I can say is we haven't made some announcements like that, but we will shortly. All right. Excellent. Sean, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but this has just been a fascinating exploration for me of you, your business model, your company, and how it all relates together around a greater corporate ESG. First of all, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to visit with me. But before we leave, if our listeners wanted any more information on yourself, Bioenergy DevCo, or really any of the topics we've touched on, what would be the best place or places for them to go? I would say bioenergydevco.com, our website, is a great place. You can contact me there if you'd like, or look for more information about the company. I think that's the best place to go, Tom. Sean, thank you again for taking the time to visit with me, and I hope we can continue this conversation. Great, Tom, and I really appreciate your time and interest in this topic. Thank you very much for having me. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the ESG Report. If you've enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever great podcasts are listened to. The ESG Report is a part of the award-winning Compliance Podcast Network. If you'd like to be a part of the network, please give me a shout at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. This is Tom Fox. Hope you'll look forward to the next episode of the ESG Report.